Welcome to the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. We are excited to have Dr. Brian Lewis, President of Transylvania University, as our guest. I always love to start off with is your personal journey to the presidency. Um, and I know there have been a couple of presidencies now, but who, who are the mentors that have really helped shape your path? Uh, really, there were, were two. I mean, there were multiple mentors, as, as most people have, but there were two who were most, uh, most impactful. Uh, one was a gentleman named Paul Harden. Uh, who was chancellor of UNC Chapel Hill when I was a student there and uh, really got to, to, to know him well and uh, get inspired by, by his path uh, to a presidency, which was slightly unorthodox in that he was a lawyer and then a law professor and then went into a presidency. And uh, I was already thinking uh, of law school anyway. And so he really gave me the inspiration that that could be a path to a presidency rather than uh, the more traditional PhD and up the academic ladder route. Uh, and then the other mentor who was uh, really impactful was uh, Tony DiGiorgio, who was president at Winthrop University. And I worked with Tony for about 13 years uh, in different roles. Uh, and he really helped me to... Uh, to get fully prepared for a presidency in part by having those different roles, but also by letting me engage in different initiatives and opportunities across the university. So that when I did come into a presidency, I really had had a good exposure to just about every corner and every facet of an institution. And so uh, that was great preparation and great mentorship. Well, absolutely. And now, um, you know, I'm sure you remember the big, bowl of cheese and lasagna at the Rathskiller on Franklin Street. I, I, I do indeed. In fact, yeah, it was basically a bowl of cheese. I don't know that there was anything else <laughs> in it. Uh, well, that's excellent. And I, I probably, um, this might not be um, fun for, for you know, any, anyone that attended Duke University, but I, I do think with the Final Four win, Right now, we have bragging rights, right? I guess until we face each other again in the tournament. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think, uh, you know, I, I put so much emotional investment into <laughs> beating Coach K at his last home game and in the Final Four. It's like anything else after this. If Carolina doesn't win anything for the next 20 years, I'm not going to complain. You know, I mean, <laughs> We can't top that. that that's all good. Absolutely. So now, did did you plan to be a president? Uh, in a word, yes. Um, it, it's not something that I had ever imagined uh, coming out of high school. Uh, but as I got more and more involved through student government in uh, activities as an undergraduate at Chapel Hill, I just became really fascinated with uh, all of the facets of, of university life. And I thought that it would be really rewarding and fulfilling work to to do. So I came up with this crazy 20-year plan that, uh, again, inspired in part by Paul Harden and, and his path, but that I would go to law school, practice law for a while to get some good professional experience, find an appropriate entree into higher education, and work my way up towards the presidency. 
And my crazy plan was only two years off because it took me 22 years to accomplish it. But uh, uh, I, I certainly found it helpful to have that long-term goal in mind. It's not that I would have been, you know, crying into my cheer wine uh, if, if it had never uh, come to pass. But I think it helped me really focus uh, on that long-term goal and the different pieces that could help me be well-prepared uh, if the opportunity arose. So what are the what are the two top initiatives that you're working on on a daily basis? Uh, really, it all comes under the uh, the umbrella of resource development. Uh, so that's either uh, admissions and enrollment growth uh, or uh, fundraising uh, and and donor support. So really, those are the two pieces that that go together because if you have those things working well, then you can continue to develop and sustain an institution. Well, absolutely, and I know you have uh, you, you've been very successful uh, in in driving dollars and fundraising money to the institution. So, how what what makes a successful fundraiser? I think really being a good listener, uh, because what you're really trying to understand uh, is what someone's philanthropic priorities and passions are and where you can help those objectives dovetail with the needs of the institution. And so just getting to know people and what makes them tick and what they care about, uh, and then being able to say, well, you know, Bradley, there's a wonderful opportunity for you to meet exactly that objective by helping to support this existing program or this initiative that we'd like to begin uh, that could really have a wonderful impact on on students for you know the immediate future, but also for generations to come. Because one of my favorite phrases around fundraising is uh, that the true meaning of life is to plant trees in whose shade you do not expect to sit. Mm. Uh, and I think that really resonates with uh, with people who are philanthropically oriented because they want to make that difference, and uh, and it's exciting to help them fulfill that vision. So what's what's one of the major differences? You know, you know, you mentioned North Carolina Chapel Hill. So you have a flagship public institution, you know, that has well over 40,000 students. And now you have Transylvania University, a private faith based tuition dependent institution where, you know, it's small enough where I would imagine, you know, a lot of the students, all of the students. So it's a different type of environment. What's in your eyes, what was that a big transformation, and what are the biggest differences? Well, for me, uh, I, I decided as I was you know, developing my career that I really, if I was going to seek a presidency, I wanted it to be a small place because I wanted to be at a place where I would know every faculty and staff member by name, that I would know, if not every student, many of them, uh, and that when they were walking across the stage and I was handing them their degree, I would know something about their journey to that point and where they were headed next. Uh, and uh, you know, that that is the really fulfilling part uh, of the role for me. Uh, I, I remember sitting at my own graduation at Chapel Hill, and, and don't get me wrong, obviously, I, I love the place. I had a great experience there. But, you know, it was in a giant football stadium. I was wearing a Canadian flag on my mortarboard so that my parents could even try to spot me in the crowd. <laughs> And I just thought, yeah, this isn't the kind of ceremony that I would ever want to preside over if I get the chance to lead an institution. Uh, 
Chapel Hill, again, it's, it's a, a marvelous institution in many ways, but it's sort of like an aircraft carrier. You know, good luck turning that ship. Uh, whereas at a place like Transylvania or Catawba or Winthrop, places that I've worked in my career, uh, you really could sort of put your hand on the tiller and on the uh, uh, the, the sail rope and, and help adjust the course of a place, uh, of course, with, with the help of uh, a, a good and able crew. It's not something you can do all by yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And let's hope Mac Brown can get us to 10 wins this year. Um, so let's when we look at uh, the the value of education. I mean, I think today um, it, it's probably being challenged, maybe more so than it ever has. And so, you know, what do you say to prospective students uh, and parents? You know, when they ask the question around, "Hey, what's the value uh, of education? What's the value of a degree?" Uh, it's a great question, Bradley, and it's it's uh, it's something that really frustrates me because I think that there is a huge disconnect. And I think some of it is, frankly, disingenuous uh, about the challenge to the value of, of a college degree, because what I mean about the disconnect is that what I'm hearing from employers all the time is that the kinds of students that the Transylvanias of the world are preparing and the way that we are preparing them is exactly what they need. They are looking for young people with strong critical thinking skills, strong communication skills, the ability to synthesize information from a lot of different sources and disciplines and work collaboratively to find solutions. That's what they are seeking. And yet there's this sort of communication out there in the in the blogosphere, the Twitter sphere, whatever, saying, oh, you really don't need college. Uh and I think a handful of years down the line from now, if these kinds of trends continue, we're all going to really regret it because employers and organizations of all kinds are going to be saying, we now do not have the people that we need to do the work that we're doing. And we're going to have to get them reskilled or upskilled or something because they don't have those tools. And so it's... Uh, it's a message that I try to convey as strongly as possible to uh, prospective families. And, and it's not just the sort of standard line about, you know, your earning potential between a college degree and a high school degree is, you know, a million dollars plus over a lifetime. Yes, that still holds true, but we really need to beat back against this uh, anti-educational message. And frankly, we need employers uh, out there sounding that alarm. Well, and, and let's let's talk a little bit about those employers and even the local community. Um, how do you make sure that students are career ready, not just for that first job, but multiple jobs? And maybe you can tie in the relationships that you have with the local community and businesses. Yeah, you're exactly on point is that what I'm hearing all the time from employers is, I won't say in every case, but in a lot of cases, they're saying, we don't care what your major is. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for what I was talking about a minute ago, the, the critical thinking skills, the communication skills, because they recognize that people are going to have not just multiple jobs, they're going to have multiple careers. And we need to give people those tools that they can utilize to keep adapting for that fourth career they're going to have 20 years from now that doesn't even exist today. 
perfect case in point, and it's just exploded uh, on, on everybody's radar, is artificial intelligence and chat GPT. You know, do we need to shy away from that? Heavens no. We need to lean into it, and we need to help prepare the people who are going to utilize and manage those kinds of tools. Uh, recently had a sort of roundtable conversation with local employers to say, you know, if we were going to offer some micro-credentials or upskilling certificates or things like that, what is it that you all need most? And I was a little surprised, but the first thing they came back with was writing. We need people who can write effectively. Uh, Chat GPT isn't going to eliminate that. In fact, you're going to need people who can take that first draft from Chat GPT and hone it and sharpen it and make it an effective message, uh, not simply content. Well, absolutely. And, and now <clears throat> your first year retention rate is over 80 percent. Is that right? First year retention rate is, uh, oh, it's probably in the 90s. But yeah, we, we do pretty well in that area. Okay. Yeah. I'm underselling you there. My goodness. Yeah. So so how do you how do you go about that? Because there aren't many institutions out there, if any, that I can think of that have a, a that high of a first year retention rate, let alone a very high four year and six year graduation rate as well. So how, how do you how does Transylvania achieve that? Uh, I think part of the secret sauce is our size. Uh, you know, it really is hard to fall between the cracks here. You know, if uh, if you don't show up for class some morning, but your professor sees you in our nice brand new dining hall at lunchtime, they're probably going to stop by your table uh, and not cause a scene, but it might be something like, Bradley, good to see you. Is everything okay? Right. And uh, and when they do that, those professors aren't being the attendance monitors. They're, they're invested in you. And I think that makes a huge difference, not just in that course, but in that, that sense of you know, feeling connected to the campus community, feeling like you belong, feeling like people are there helping you succeed and reach your full potential. Uh, a number of the students who who don't retain with us, they go off to do something else successful. They, they may decide that they are looking for a, uh, you know, a different kind of degree path than we offer. Uh, and so they transfer and and go somewhere else and are are successful there. So it's it's not that these are students who are just going to totally abandon education in most cases. They've just recognized there's a different path for them. And it's one of the things that's always frustrated me about retention and graduation rates is, uh, you know, lots of institutions, not just Transylvania, do a great job of being a piece of someone's education. And yet, if you start here and graduate somewhere else, we don't get to count you and they don't get to count you. And that's kind of unfair for everybody. Well, and, and maybe we, let's talk a little bit about meeting students where they are. You know, that those are words that I hear often is, is making sure that you provide, you know, whether it be stackable credentials, you know, and, and, and maybe it is a certificate over a full bachelor's degree or what have you. But can you talk about how it's transferred? Transylvania meeting the need of, of, of each and every student to really meet them where they are? I think we do a terrific job of meeting the needs of sort of that traditional residential undergraduate student and uh, and meeting them where they are, not only in, in the programs that we offer, but the, the support services and the resources that are available to them to, to help them get them through the rough patches, whether it's academic or a mental health situation or whatever it might be, 
they know that there's there's folks there who are ready to to lend a hand. Uh, we also have, uh, I think, a terrific opportunity for students to literally design their own majors, because some people come in and say, "Oh, I'm interested in three or four things. I can't triple major. How do I how do I do this?" Well, they can really sit down with uh, with faculty advisors and come up with something that is unique and distinctive to them and their interests. So I think that goes a long way to meeting people where they are. Uh, what we're really only beginning to explore are those those other elements, you know, the micro credentials, the certificates, to see what do we already have that could be potentially repackaged in some format that might meet that need, uh, whether it's on a, a different f- platform or a different time frame or something like that. Recognizing that uh, you know, in this day and age, not everything can go by the sort of traditional agrarian calendar that education seems tethered to. Uh, so while we aren't in a position to announce anything right here today, it's it's something we're actively exploring to find out how can we bring uh, the quality of what we do and the personal attention of what we do to students uh, in different ways and meeting different needs. Absolutely. So you're roughly a thousand undergraduate students today. Is that right? Yes. Okay. How big... I guess, how big can you get or how big do you want to get? Uh, we've talked about uh, growing maybe in the vicinity of about 1,150 students uh, and simply using that number because if you go back, oh, I guess it was about 12, 15 years ago, somewhere in that range, that was sort of our high water mark in terms of enrollment. And then we had some declines with you know economic setbacks and so on that, that a lot of small colleges faced. Uh, so we know that we've got the the physical plants to accommodate that many students. We wouldn't need to build a new classroom building or anything like that. We might need to make some adjustments, but uh, you know, we and we would definitely keep our faculty ratios in line with that. So we're not just looking to shoehorn a bunch of extra students into existing classes. We would want to keep that uh, very intimate relationship between faculty and students because the. The faculty here don't just know a student's name. They know their their interests and their aspirations, and they know if they're struggling with something. Absolutely. So are you being impacted by the enrollment cliff? Well, we're certainly keeping an eye on it. The good news for us is, uh, and, and we're on track to keep this good news going, uh, the last two years we had uh, both higher incoming classes and higher overall enrollment than uh, the, the years preceding uh, the pandemic. So mm. that's bucking the trends nicely. It's not uh, it's not by huge numbers, but we'd certainly rather be up than than flat or down. So uh, we're encouraged that uh, we're offering something that people really are, are looking for. Absolutely. And now, where do you see Transylvania in five years? Uh, I see us uh, strengthening some of our existing strengths uh, and really promoting those to students. Uh, and uh, potentially adding some of the things I was talking about a moment ago in terms of uh, uh, other options that might appeal to different markets than that traditional residential undergraduate. Uh, Our existing strengths include uh, really stellar performance in preparing students for medical school. We've got about a 90% acceptance rate for students going into medical school, vet school, dental school, and so on and 100% acceptance rate for law school. Mm -hmm. So we really do an exceptional job, not just of getting those students into those programs, but as they come back and talk to me about their experiences, uh, it's uh, 
it's really remarkable the consistency of what they say because they're always saying you know i feel like i'm so much better prepared than my classmates transy was rigorous but transy really got me set up to succeed in future uh graduate and professional school uh and i and i feel like i'm going to succeed there because while my classmates are flailing i'm saying no this is fine i'm ready for this well, excellent. Well, President Brian Lewis, uh, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Bradley. Great to be with you. Thank you for joining the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. For more information on the series, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.